0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that we would have the eyes of our hearts open that we might behold Jesus and understand our identity in Him. And it is in His name we pray. Amen. Uh, We continue our series on uh, Paul's letter to Titus, and Paul begins with the conviction of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. He uh, begins his letter to Titus in that way, and that is the common thread throughout the entirety of the letter. And this morning from chapter two is no exception. You remember, he clearly states that at the beginning of chapter one, and then he begins to talk about men who would start, who would share this conviction and have the character and competence to serve as elders in the local church that is, lead pastors. But he then goes on to talk about what is expected of them. But now he's turned a corner because the question he asks, I believe, is where is he to find such people? Well, chapter 2 tells us where the false teachers are peddling their myths, saying that Jesus isn't quite enough to get you into heaven. In fact, you have to become a Jew before you can become a Christian, you have to be circumcised, you have to follow all the dietary laws. Jesus plus is what gets you into a relationship with God rather than Jesus alone being enough to grant you an entryway into a relationship with the living God. And Paul begins this morning, but as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. That is, Paul is saying to Titus, here is how I want you to pastor your people, I want you to stay rooted in the conviction of who you are, but moreover, who Jesus Christ is and how your life is made different because of that. And he actually goes into how Titus is to pastor these individuals, and he very helpfully breaks them into groups. Older men, older women, younger men, younger women. But that's not actually how he orders them, and I don't believe that the ordering is arbitrary. He begins with the older men, as you would would expect anybody from the ancient Near East to do. But then, if you were in the Near East, you would have been thrown a curveball because he moves from the older men to the older women. They would have expected him to go older men, younger men, older women, younger women. But he begins with the older men and the older women. Why? Why? Because the Bible gives great importance and respect to those who are old. Now, I can hear some of you right now. He didn't talk about me. Who is he talking about? I once preached a sermon and referred to someone who was 80 years old as old. And I got a real earful after the sermon Uh, for calling someone that age old uh, because, of course, the person complaining was 80 years old and had a very hard time thinking of themselves as elderly. And I really don't mean offense, but y'all, 80's old. Uh, You may feel great. I know people will say it's not about the years, it's about the mileage. I get all that. And yet, the Bible has a very different understanding of what it means to grow into old age. We live in a world that is doing everything it can to avoid getting old. The clothing that we wear, the things that we do to our bodies, the chemicals we put in them, the medical procedures that we will all undergo. I'm convinced that eventually cremation will be made illegal because eventually all of us, if we get cremated, there's just going to be a pile of parts Uh, lying in there. Uh, At best, at worst, we're all going to explode in the crematorium we have so much chemical in us. We will go to great lengths to be mistaken for being young. We may even admit and know that it's all vanity. In our world, we mistake youth for beauty. and it's all come home to roost in our world. We've gotten exactly what we wanted. A world populated by and run by children. It should be no small wonder that leaders around the world act in such juvenile ways because it seems like our entire world is hell-bent on trying to stay as young as it possibly can be. So we would be right to ask, Where are all the adults? Let's hear what the Bible has to say about growing old. Proverbs tells us, Grey hair is a crown of splendor. It is attained by a righteous life. Some of you more righteous than others. Leviticus says, Rise in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly. Job tells us, Age should speak. Advanced years should teach wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom is with aged men and women, with long life is understanding. We need elders, men and women of maturity and wisdom. We need them. And we've made not only the great mistake, but the great sin of overlooking them in our world. We discard them. We overlook them. We don't actually look to them as what the Bible tells us they are, which are great founts of wisdom. So not only should we respect our elders, we should look to them for wisdom and guidance and understanding. And Paul says here, older men, older women, step up to the plate because we need people like you, to pour into the lives of younger men and younger women. Because Paul not only singles out the old and the young, but men and women. He wants older men to invest in younger men. Older women to invest in younger women. It may come as a surprise to you, but men and women are different. Fran Leibowitz, a committed feminist and social commentator, was once asked, is there really any difference between men and women? She replied, of course there is. It's called testosterone. And in spite of biology, we've convinced ourselves that there is no difference between men and women. But think about your own human experience. Whether we're willing to admit it or not, We know the difference in our hearts and minds as well. Think of when you were growing up and you had a request to make of mom and or dad. Depending on the request, it determined who you went to, didn't it? Because there were things you know mom was going to say, absolutely not. But dad might. Dad might say yes. Yes. And I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that we are at a crisis point in our world where we have lost any idea of what it means to be a man or a woman. I'm not talking about Clint Eastwood machismo or Ozzie and Harriet domesticity, but how to be a man, how to be a woman in our world. And the church has completely failed. We have failed to take God's word seriously and left young men and young women to sit at the feet of the false prophets of this age, leading them into utter confusion. Do you know what the single greatest cause of poverty is in the United States? Children born into single-parent homes. Fatherlessness. Do you know what the common denominator is amongst these young men who are going into schools and shooting up their fellow or former classmates? Having no father in the home. That's not a coincidence, I don't think. I myself came from a broken home. I love my dad. I love the man that my mother remarried to. But I had no father figure. I had never had a man until I got older Never had a man ask me how I did on my report card growing up. Well That might seem small. But that was just an indicator that I had no man in my life growing up who was willing to take an interest in me and to actually know how I was doing. Until I got into high school and there was an older man in my neighborhood who, taking Titus seriously, sank into my life and showed me what it meant to be a man. He showed me what it meant to be a godly man, a faithful man. And there's not a day that goes by where I don't praise God for him because God used him to be my spiritual father. Paul goes through a rather long list this morning about what it means to be men, what it means to be women. He says, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Now, these aren't particular things that older men struggle with, so we shouldn't look at this and say, well, this is just for the men and this is just for the women. But he wants the older men. And the, the key here, I think, is where he says, sound in faith. Be committed to the Lord Jesus Christ in love and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. See, Paul knew about bunco and wine club. <laughs> they are to teach what is good, and so to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Now, let me back up a little bit, because I know all of you are sort of getting antsy about the submission and about the, uh, not, uh, and about, um, the working at home Uh, But Paul is not saying here that women ought not to work out of the home. In fact, Proverbs 31, which is put up there as the ideal model woman of faith, the woman in Proverbs 31 works outside of the house. But what he is saying is that men and women are different. Children need a mom and a dad. And they need to be committed to those God-given roles in their families. Why? Men and women so that the word of God may not be reviled. Do we give the world an excuse to revile the gospel? Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Now, I think that they save the young men for last. Why? Because we're the ones who really need to hear it. It needs to be the last thing said to us, the last thing on our minds. And if men, young men can deal with self-control, we've made great leaps and bounds. But to you, Titus, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Again, so that the word might not be reviled. And that is a footnote, but I think it's important because here Paul brings up slavery, Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters and everything there to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may not adorn, they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. The slavery that Paul is talking about here is not the slavery that we experienced for hundreds of years in the United States. What he's talking about here, the form of slavery was a bond servitude, which was almost always the result of a financial issue. You owed somebody money, you could not pay them back, and so you paid them back in labor until your debt was worked off. A modern-day equivalent of that, I experienced when I was in college. There were any number of international students attending the University of Virginia who were there because their home government said, we will pay for you to go, but when you graduate, you have to come back to your home country and give five years of service to teaching or work in the government, or whatever it happened to be. And so many of my international friends spent all of their time for their four years at UVA trying to figure out how to get out of their obligation. Some of them just said, well, I'm from Bolivia. They're not going to come after me. Or maybe I can figure out a way to work a deal where I don't have to pay back all of it for maybe a part. But I remember there was one guy, a committed, godly man, who looked at them and said, well, I'm going back. Really? Why? And he said, because I gave my word. I promised them that I would go back. That's what Paul was talking about here that we be men and women of integrity, above reproach, so that in everything we may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. We cannot look to the world to define who we are, period. Whether that's stereotypical understandings of what it means to be a man or a woman, or just a complete blank slate of what it means to be a man or a woman. Our identity is in Jesus Christ, and we need to be reminded of that over and over and over again, of His great love for us, and our unending need of Him, and our identity that is in Him. And how does this happen? This happens, as I said Last week, if you want your character to change, you don't work on yourself, you look to Jesus. You spend time with him. You search God's word and allow the spirit to do his work on your life to mold you into the man or woman of God he's called you to be. When I was thinking about just the power of the word, you know a question dawned in my mind this week? Who's the most powerful person in Birmingham, Alabama? Who would you say, with a word, can change everybody's life in Birmingham? Is there such a person? There is. His name is James Spann. (laughs) Think about it. James Span says the system's on its way. Your life stops. <laughs> I and mean, I had employees of the advent telling me recently, "Well, James Span said the weather's supposed to stop at 11, so I'm going home then." And I said, well, you, you don't work for James Span. Um, uh, 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 but because James Spann said so, and remember the snow apocalypse, who was wrong about that? James Spann, Mr. It's gonna go to Montgomery. Right? We got absolutely slammed. And since then, anytime James Spann says there's going to be precipitation, the whole world comes to a screeching halt. The schools cancel even at the mention of clouds. It will be a it is a miracle that my children can read. (laughs) All because of what? James Spann who is so often wrong. And yet if that man has power with a word to change our lives, how much more should we take God's word seriously? It's transformative. It's always true. And so we take it much more seriously, I hope, than James Spann. And rather than running out and raiding the Piggly Wiggly for bread and milk and bottled water. We turn to the very bread of life so that springs of living water will well up within us who is Jesus Christ Himself. If you want to know what it means to be a man or a woman or what God's call in your life is regardless of how old you are, we don't look to the world. We look to God's Word. And we seek the face of Jesus Christ that he might actually transform our lives so that they might adorn the very gospel of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is God's call on all of our lives. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that through grace and adoption you have made us your children And no matter how old we get, we're always going to be your sons and daughters, and you're always going to be our heavenly Father. And Lord, in the midst of a confusing world, we pray that we would look to you to understand who we are, ultimately our identity being rooted in you, that we wouldn't be distracted by the world, but Lord, that we would seek above all uh, to be faithful to you, regardless of what the world might say, because only in you do we find all of our hope, uh, all of our security, all of our life, even our eternity in you, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting...